to God in prayer. I have a little bit of, again, a nervous anxiety because of the context in which I'm preaching from. We're not going to read a passage of Scripture to open. We've got three passages of Scripture that we're going to glean from today. And uh, I'm going to share with you a, a brief title of the message today, but I don't want you to misconstrue it. I want you to give me the time to explain it and to allow you to contemplate it. But we are very grateful uh, to be American citizens. There's no other nation or no other country. There's no other people group that I would rather. I'm very grateful. We should all be grateful that we were born in these United States of America, Amen. despite our ups and downs and our highs and lows. And, uh, but, but there's often, uh, uh, because of, we see such travail in our nation, oftentimes from the pulpit and things of this nature, you will hear things relating to America and the judgment of God. I've heard sermons about this in days gone by, and I've, and, and, and I've not always felt uh, that, that the, perhaps the, the application of the Scripture was accurate, but I felt like today that I would preach along that line and that I would address some of these things and respond and, and share with you a, a, a little gleaning from a sermon that I heard recently at the Watchman on the Wall conference that I attended in Washington, D.C., and allow a culmination. So it doesn't say America under the judgment of God. It simply says America and the judgment of God so that we can try to resolve this issue in our minds just a little bit. Because though we are thankful, the reality is there is a lot of uncertainty. And there are some troubling days in our most recent past, and the potential is for greater troubling days in our near future. Let's be honest, and we can't just sing, you know, kumbaya like everything is fine. There is a tumultuous climate in our country today of, of uh, uncertainty, and the potential for volatility, I think, grows on a daily basis, right? So we need to pray, and we need to ask. You know, the Scripture, again, quoting from Second Chronicles, and you're very familiar with this exhortation from Solomon, if my people, which are called by my name, who is that? That's the people of God. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then God says, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And so it's one thing for us to be in the church pointing at the world for all that's going on. And we need to, repentance needs to start at the house of God. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so today, that's going to be our subject matter, America and the judgment of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, and we're so grateful today for this privileged opportunity that I have to preach to a group of men and women who have come here voluntarily to hear the word of God. And I pray that as we go through this discourse, this time of exhortation to the word of God, that there would be something written upon the tablet of the heart today, God, in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen and you can be seated now let me give just a little bit of a prelude since you understand a little bit of the context to which i am going to share the reality is that a lot of churches in america today we have a lot of soft doctrine what i mean by soft doctrine we have pastors who for whatever reason feel like that they should not preach anything that can be deemed controversial or offensive and, uh, but that's not, you're not at that house today, and you're not listening to this pastor here today. But I don't want to be found to be the preacher that's always condescending either. I want to find that right application and that right balance. In the good words of Dr. Brassfield, most time the truth hangs near, somewhere near the middle, and that's kind of where I want to be. I want to understand where we are, the potential that can be happening to our country, and yet at the same time I want to see the church rally to be all that God's called us to be, that we can be a light 
to the people that are around us. Now, if you're a young adult here today, now here's what you're going to have to guard yourself from. Being a young adult, you can say, well, I don't think a lot about those things. Whether you think a lot about those things or not, it doesn't matter. There are things happening around you that's going to directly affect your immediate and, and your far future. So you might as well you know, start becoming more aware of the things that are taking place in our country so that you can become a viable part of reformation. Come on, somebody. Amen. Now, let me say this about this great country with this flag that sits right here to my right. And despite all the woes, despite all the issues that any of us could take a scroll and unscroll and list all the calamities and trials and uh, the evils that we can see take place in these United States of America. And many of you may have your own personal plights and frustrations, both with the government at whatever level, be it state or federal level. Yet in the midst of all that, we still have much to be thankful for. We have so much and the freedoms that we enjoy that have been given to us by the, again, the initial faith of our founding fathers and the preservation of this, uh, you know, this American republic. And yes, we hear it so often, we're a democracy. No, we are a constitutional republic and you need to study and know what that means. And in and, and, and doing so, you and I are rightly involved in this political process. And so I'm so grateful for it that we can be a part of, a part of you know, the, the, not only in gleaning from the history of our nation, but we can be a part of the future. Oddly enough, America has been so unique in the history of the world. Did you know the world's oldest constitution is the Constitution of the United States? The world's oldest written constitution, excuse me, still binds people groups of different perspectives, even many times different religions and different socioeconomic statuses, but we can be bound together by the freedoms that have been granted unto us by the Constitution. And you and I need to continue to educate ourselves on what that, the privileges that provides for us. We are a nation that's been unique in the history of the world in the sense that we have been a nation without a monarch. It was no king but Jesus, our founding fathers said, Right? Now, unfortunately, I believe we've been a nation without a monarch until Obama's come along and the, use of, and the misuse of the executive order puts him right on the edge of it at times. That's my personal opinion. You can work that out on your own. But it was originally intended to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. The only comparison, if we could make any biblical comparison or historical comparison to this government, even though it was a different form of government, but the only comparison that we can make to the history of these United States is the nation of Israel. The history of the ancient people of God, the, the, the chosen people of God under the, uh, the covenant of the Mosaic law. Now, with that, let me say this. I'm going to make some comparisons today, but I don't believe that you can make a direct correlation always. And there's a far extreme side to some of the things that I'm going to tell you, and we're not going to go there today. Though their government is different, even historically and even what it is today, from, again, this full constitutional republic that you and I have the privilege to participate in in America, but because you can trace the history of the nation of Israel and see the hand of God upon that nation and its forming when they were taken as a family that dwelt in Egypt to escape the famine of Canaan's land that in 400 years under, during the season of slavery under Pharaoh, they became a great nation. And we can look back and unless you are just so hardened against God, it's easy to trace the providential hand of God upon the history of these United States of America. Correct? 
And so with that very carefully, let me say this. that So these comparisons have been made between the ancient people of Israel and America since America's beginning. Did you know that many of the Puritans who were the first to uh, inhabit the new world and to, to colonize the new world, many of the Puritans believed that they were a part of a divine act of the birth of a new nation that would in essence have similar uh, similarities with the nation of Israel. Did you know Benjamin Franklin, even by looking at the early colonies before the states were formed, before the forming of the federal government, he actually called the colonies God's new Israel? So there was an underlying belief that God was raising up a nation to be something perhaps akin to what the Jewish people had been called to do and to be. You may remember that God placed the Jewish people as a people in the midst uh, with, with a belief in one God in the midst of nations all around them that had a belief in a plurality of gods and gave them distinct laws and means and ways to function in society and God favored and blessed it and prospered them and they became a great nation. And the belief was is that the, in the beginning days of America that if we would follow the scriptures if we would de- if we would develop our laws and and form our laws based upon a revelation of the word of god then we too could be a society right that god would bless and that god would favor and that there would that's why it says it on the liberty bell that there would be liberty to ring throughout all the land and that men and women have an opportunity to do and to be all that their hearts yearn for as long as they govern themselves by the 10 commandments of god So it's easy to see the comparisons, but let me say this, even though many still believe that America is the new Israel, I want to say this today. I don't necessarily believe that in that far extreme side. I do believe that there's much that we can learn from in the history of ancient Israel, and we can make limited comparison. And that's what I want to just share with you today, because the reality of this is God is sovereign over the nations, and God can raise up one and he can set down another. And God can call a nation from obscurity and make them the most powerful force in all the earth. And then that nation can dry and wither away if God so chooses. So let's today just very carefully, we're going to go first to the book of Deuteronomy and we're going to attempt to make a limited comparison. It's in the 8th chapter, the 16th or the 6th verse through the 20th verse that we're going to glean. Let me put you in the context for just a moment, if I may. I'm going to take you to three passages of scripture today, one in Deuteronomy, one in the Psalms, and one in the book of Romans to be able to share with you to answer that question, America and the judgment of God, question mark, and see if there is any type of correlation and relation. In this passage here in the book of Deuteronomy, for your understanding today, Israel has completed 40 years in its wilderness journey. The children that rebelled, that did not believe, that that they died in the wilderness. They had grown to adulthood, they had died, and their children are now poised to be the people group that goes into the promised land. Moses, too, had sinned by hitting the rock the second time. And so, therefore, God is prohibiting even their leader, Moses, from going into the promised land. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final exhortation to a people that he had led successfully out of Egyptian bondage through the trial of the Red Sea and now through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. This is his farewell charge. This is where he's reminding them of the principles that they had agreed upon at Mount Sinai, the Mosaic Law, to govern themselves by the precepts and the principles of the law. 
He's going through a recourse, the kind that you would if you were not going to see your, your children again. You would sit down and you would retrace the steps and you would say, you would charge them to be faithful. Moses is charging the children of Israel to be faithful. But if you study the book of Deuteronomy, you will also notice that as Moses charges them to be faithful and he reminds them of the blessing of God, he is always warning them of the potential the potential reward for their error if they stray from the covenant promises of God. And it's to that I would like to allude, and I know this is not shouting material here today, but we need to glean from it because though it was written to ancient Israel, there is a principle that is still at work in our country today. Deuteronomy in the 8th chapter, let's read this together at the 6th verse. It says, Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God is bringing thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and a land of oil, olive, and honey. Look at this as he's reminding them of, of a land they've not yet seen. Only the spies have seen it. And he said, It's a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose heels thou mayest dig brass. And when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Tell you, we need to be thankful for the good land that God's given us here in these United States. We need to be thankful for the privileges and the opportunities and the freedoms and the liberties that have been granted to us as American citizens. And we need to heed the warning of the, of, of the uh, patriarch Moses as he is exhorting us here in the 11th verse. Beware, beware, as he says to ancient Israel, that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied. Are y'all reading on the screen with me? Are you reading on your Bible or following on some type of uh, 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 iPhone or such there in your hand? It doesn't matter, but just follow this with me. Then thine heart, this warning is that thine heart would be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water. If we were making application to this, uh, to the America uh, Republic today, we could say, can we remember where God took us? Can we remember when the colonies were, were, were struggling to, to come together to be unified? Can we remember the shot that was heard around the world that launched, you know, America into the American Revolution? Can we remember the tyranny of Great Britain? Can we remember... The struck. Can you remember all the ups and downs that somehow that, that we have uh, prevailed by the grace of God? Can you remember World War I and World War II and the Korean conflict and the Vietnam conflict and now the war in the Middle East? Can we look and see that God has been gracious to this people called America? But we have to be very careful because if we're not, we'll be uh, similar to the Israelites and we'll forget that there's been success to this nation in its fledging 300 years of existence because God had his providential hand upon us. When we lose our way, 
We lose our sight. If we're not careful, we can receive the recompense of our reward as well. Here it says, where there was no water, who brought thee forth out of the rock of Flint. He's reminding them of how God provided. Who led thee in the wilderness with the manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do, thy, to do thee good at the latter end. And he said, and you will say in your heart, my power and the might of mine he- my hand have gotten me all this wealth. But here Moses is challenging ancient Israel. And he's saying, but thou shalt remember, it's the Lord thy God for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day did you know there are many of our founding fathers that believed that God was raising up the nation of America to be the mission sending agency around the world to be the light that would take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world did you know that our founding fathers did seek to conquer the Native Americans, but not with musket or sword, but by the power of the Word of God to convert them to this life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to know that they could be free from their idolatry and their savagery. Once they had a revelation of Jesus Christ, they wouldn't have to worship the sun or the stars or the moon or the animals or the tree or the fishes that were in the river, but no, they could worship the one God who revealed himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And they believed God was raising up this land for that purpose. And so here Moses is reminding the children of Israel and saying, God is blessing you so that he can establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. But notice this warning. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall you perish, because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord our God, or the Lord your God. So this is a strong warning that Moses, but this is not the only passage of Scripture where Moses, all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, he's reminding the children of Israel to be obedient to the law, to conform your life to the Word of God. As you hear me say, you don't conform God to your will. You conform your will to God's will. Come on. And so Moses is giving continual warning. But unfortunately, as many of you know, the history of the nation of Israel is a people that are stiff-necked, refusing to follow the will and the direction of God. So I would like to now take you to the Psalms where the psalmist is rehearsing just very quickly today for a few verses of Scripture that we might surmise their journeys and we might see what actually took place. So we're in Psalm 105. Now remember the warnings that have been given by Moses and now hundreds of years have now taken place. Many believe that Psalm 106 is written during the days of the captivity of Babylon when the temple of Israel was destroyed in 586 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar and men were, and the people were taken captive for 70 years. And this is either during the captivity or the return. And so here the psalmist is recording God's interactions with the people of the nation of Israel. And we're not going to read it all in its entirety, but we're going to pick it up in the 34th verse. And here's where the reproof is being shared as it re- he's reminding the people of the failure of their fathers. So think for a moment. Don't let go of what Moses said. Moses warned Israel. He said, you're going to go into a land that's a land of milk and honey. There's rocks that are filled with uh, brass and with gold and silver. God's going to bless your herds. He's going to bless your cattle. He's going to bless the fruit of your body, all those things. But if you fail to remember the Lord thy God, 
then you can perish like the nations that dwelt in the land before you. What a warning that is to us. There's a lot of arrogancy and pride in America today. But I'm telling you, as quickly as America arose upon this, the world scene to become, you know, the world's main superpower, we can quickly slip into obscurity if we fail to remember the faithful hand that called us to be a nation in the beginning. So let's go a little bit further and let's read this. It says here in the 34th verse, going back to ancient Israel, they did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them. Remember, God sent them into a land of seven nations that were so corrupt that God didn't say evangelize them with the law. They were to destroy them because of the potential for the influence of those nations. He said, but you didn't do that and you were mingled among the heathen Look at this, 35th verse. And you learned their works, and they served their idols, which were a snare to them. And they even arrived at the place where they sacrificed their own sons and daughters unto devils. Now, why is that such a, 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 a piercing word today? It's because if you read the book of the law, you'll remember God always promised to bless the womb. God said that if you do what I'm telling you, there'll not be a barren womb among you. God will bless your children and your children's children. But here Israel is so seduced by idolatry, the womb that God has blessed, mothers and dads are taking the children that God has blessed them and they're throwing them into the fire to worship the pagan god of Molech. And here is reproof written by the psalmist. They've sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. They've shed innocent blood, even the blood of their own sons and their daughters, whom they have sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land is polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled with their own works, and they went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore, notice this, was the wrath of the Lord kindled against who? His people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, that they that hated them ruled over them. And that took place many times through small conflicts, but it took place ultimately when Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon overthrew the city of Jerusalem and carried the people captive. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. And many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel, and they were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless... He regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. How merciful is our God today. How gracious is our God today. Let me tell you, there's a lot of trauma and travail in America today. There's a lot that's wrong with us. But I'm telling you, if the unified voices of Americans would fall before God and they would cry out and they would humble themselves, if they would rend their heart, not their garment, I'm telling you, the grace of God could settle upon this land in a way that would be unimaginable to us. If we would humble ourselves. because Why? Because God is merciful. And it says he remembered for them his covenant. And repented according to the multitudes of his mercy. And he made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captive. Save us, O Lord our God. And gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name. And to triumph in thy praise. And I chose this passage of scripture because I just wanted to show you a couple of things very quickly to show you that what Moses had warned the children of Israel of, unfortunately, they fell prey to. They fell prey to the influence of the surrounding nations and they lost their, their, their sense of just being conformable to the will of God. And therefore, they were taken captive. 
and they lost their sovereignty. And that's one thing that I'd like to make note of for just a moment before we transition and make this very personal to us here that are here today. And that is, even though the story of the history of the nation of Israel is the mercy of God and children, the children of Israel sinning and being taken to far countries and then crying out to God and God heard their cry and he brought them back. Even though he brought them back to their own land, they were never a sovereign nation again. They lost their sovereignty. And so I'm telling you, there's something that we've got to guard ourselves from here in America today. We as a people, as Americans can continue, but the outside influences are taking away, are seeking to strip away the sovereignty that we have as a nation that came to us and granted to us by the grace of God. That we as a people group, we would lose our identity and our Judeo-Christian values that God has allowed this nation to be built upon. So I want to ask you a simple question for just a few moments then we'll start turning this to a particular point and close. Is it possible in a similar comparison that America can fall prey to the judgment of God? Is it prey? And if so, if so, what does that mean? I'm going to just drop five nuggets down in your spirit from my own personal compilations. Number one, let me say this about the, America, the, the nation of America. There is only one holy nation in the earth today. And it's not America and it is not Israel. It is the church of Jesus Christ. The called out, sanctified, those that are set apart in Christ. That's the holy nation that is being built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and his apostles. Come on, somebody. And so with that, number two, but God does remain sovereign over the nations of the world. Nebuchadnezzar, when his kingdom had grown so great and he had succumbed the known world by his own might, was walking through his, uh, or by, the, by his perception that it was his own might. He was walking through his palace one day and he was contemplating that he thought, look at all that I've done. Everything that has been accomplished for the people of Babylon is because of my power and my might. And an angel of the Lord heard what he thought in his mind. And the angel of the Lord came to him and smote him. And he said, you're going to eat grass like an ox in the field until you know that God rules and reigns in the kingdoms of men. And nothing has changed. God is still sovereign. God is still sovereign. Government, number three, is ordained of God and should be for the good of all humanity. It should be for the good. And the New Testament epistles, especially Romans, the 13th chapter, speaks directly to the virtue of good government. And we want to pray for our government. No matter who's elected, we pray that God would bring us men and women of virtue and morals to sit in places of judgment. Number four, most of the context of the judgment of God should be contained for the day of judgment. Let me show you a scripture. What do you mean, Pastor Brown? The context, the judgment of God. When you think about the judgment of God, many times we think about the judgment of God of old. We think about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We think about even when God meted out his judgment upon ancient Israel. But when you read the New Testament consistently, you are reminded that the primary emphasis on the judgment of God is not just little components of the judgment of God but the day of judgment the righteous wrath of God let's read one verse of scripture Romans 2 and 5 if we can post that on the screen for here's where the apostle Paul mentions it but after thy hardness and impotent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God 
a treasuring up, a storing up. God who writes down the thoughts and the imaginations of all men. One day we will all stand before God and give account of God on a day of righteous judgment. Number five, real quickly, let me say this before I transition to Romans to close. I do not believe that calamities such as hurricanes, tornadoes, drought, or tsunamis are the wrath of God. I do not believe that God, because God said he would not punish the righteous with the wicked. Years ago, I was at an Assembly of God church. I won't call the name of the church. I was just in the audience. Some of you may have been there with me. The pastor was preaching, and he shared a story. This story was following the tsunami that took place in Indonesia. And he was sharing a story that there was a missionary there that was discussing with a Muslim man, which most of Indonesia is the world's number one Muslim nation. And he was ministering to him about the truth of the, of, of the God of the Bible. And, and ultimately, it was like the Muslim man said, well, he will have to show me. He will have to show me that your God is greater than my God. Well, that very next day, the tsunami took place. And so, that man survived and then to a degree, perhaps he repented or he said, your God has shown me that you're greater than my God. And the pastor that was sharing that as he shared it, people were clapping. Let me tell you, 300,000 people were swept into eternity that day. And I don't believe that it was the hand of God that sent that. I remember that years ago, I remember years ago in the context of, the, of Jesus' his own disciples, when they were rejected at Samaria in the scriptures, in the gospel of Luke. And when they rejected Jesus at Samaria, Peter and John said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And Jesus put his finger right in their face and he said, he reproved them and he said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but he came to save them. Let me tell you, the cross was the tipping point. It was when everything changed, even with how God dealt with humanity. Yes, there was wrath. God is a God of judgment. He's a God of righteous indignation. But God doubled his fist up and he smote humanity on the cross. Jesus Christ absorbed the penalty to the wrath of God so that you and I could receive of his mercy and his grace. And that's the power of the gospel. There's the virtue of the judgment of God. Jesus absorbed it on the cross. But there is still... This subject called the judgment of God that still puts that question mark behind it and perhaps there is some component of it that we must answer and we're going to go to the book of Romans to share this in conclusion. I know not what time it is, but please let me finish appropriately. Can I do that today, please? Let me finish. It's very important. I went recently, as most of you know, to the um, Watchmen on the Wall conference for pastors to challenge us to be involved in the political systems and structure of America. And I heard a sermon there taken from this text of Scripture that we're going to read. We're going to read it in its entirety, and you're going to allow me to make just a little bit of application, if we can, please. It was given to us very articulately, perhaps from the most articulate speaker of the entire event by a precious woman by the name of Anne Graham Lutz, who is the daughter of Billy Graham. And Anne spoke a message that related to the judgment of God. And when she's made this statement, she said, I believe that America is under the judgment of God. She made that statement to initially start the message. And then I know my internal belief system that I don't believe God has sent in the calamities. I believe the calamities come as a result of the earth that is groaning and travailing at the presence of sin. 
Romans 8 says this earth is a living entity and it's grieved at the presence of sin. And it's looking for the day at the righteous revelation of God and God's children and when God's going to turn everything back and make everything new, so, so to speak. So the earth convulses. The earth convulses as a result of the presence of sin. And so when she first made that statement, I thought, I'm not sure that I'll be able to trod along this road with her. But then she so articulately expounded upon Romans 1 that I understand, ex- understood exactly the application. And I believe that she hit the bullseye right in the middle. And I want to share that real, with you real quickly. Let's read this, this famous passage of Scripture in closing today. Allow me to make just a couple of uh, draw points to it before we uh, dismiss you. For the wrath of God, 18th verse, it should be on the screen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. He said the wrath of God, excuse me, is revealed. He didn't say it's yet being revealed. He said that in the second chapter. We treasure up wrath. But here he speaks about a wrath that is now revealed. Catch that. This is a wrath that is now revealed because they hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. They are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. Let me stop and just make point just real quickly. America, here's the reality. America does hold the truth in unrighteousness. We do. We have access to the truth of God unlike any nation. Come on, since the children of Israel stood at the base of Mount Sinai, that we built a a nation that was built upon the foundation of the Scriptures and the Word of God, but now we hold the truth in unrighteousness. Number two, we have become, 21st verse, we have become unthankful. We're a nation that is no longer thankful towards the sovereign, providential hand of God upon us. And the third point to make note of as America, it is we, have, we profess to be wise, but in actuality we have become fools. America is becoming a secular nation. But I remember what the psalmist said. He said, only the fool says in his heart there is no God. And so today those things I do believe apply. And so as we read down just a little bit further, we'll just start here. Anne made three points that she believed that three things were resulting in the judgment of God. And I'll allude to the judgment of God in closing. And then she noted the first one. She said three things that she believed were primary in America falling under what she called the judgment of God. I'll, make, I'll elaborate upon that to close the message. But she cited, number one, evolutionary teaching from the 23rd verse. Because we have changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man. If you go to any science book in America today, they're not going to tell you about the Genesis. They're not going to tell you that God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. They're not going to say God put this man called Adam in a garden with his wife called Eve, gave him dominion over all the cattle in the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, and said, take dominion. Oh, they're not going to tell you that. They're going to tell you there was nothing, and then out of nothing came something, and then there for millions and trillions of years ago, and finally man began as this little amoeba, and he crawled out of the, uh, the oceans, and then he lived on the land then he crawled up into a tree and then one day his tail grew out and then his tail you know then his tail grew back retracted back in and then he realized I'm going to climb down from the tree and I'm going to live on the ground then he lived like this for millions of years and finally he stood upright and then now he's all wise he's evolved to the place where everything it is today and it's a lie from the pits of hell man was made in the likeness and the image of God come on somebody he is Jehovah the creator Elohim 
And it's a myth that's been propagated upon our children and our children's children. And we're receiving the recompense for that type of teaching. We've lost our convictions. We've lost our fear of God. Because man's evolved at the place where God, where man has created God rather than God creating man. That's where we're at. Number two, she cited the sin of homosexuality. 26 in the 27th verse. And I know this is a very difficult subject matter. I know that many have friends and loved ones, and I understand all of this. And we try to be very sensitive to people and ministering to them, but we're not going to alter the truth of the Word of God. We'll speak and hold to the truth. For here is an alluding to homosexuality. It says, for this cause... God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust one towards another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. I've said this for several years now. I'm going to echo it again today. That will be the dividing line of America today. This subject matter, this issue is going to be the thing that's going to divide your belief system. It will no longer be divided even in the church, whether you're Baptist or Presbyterian or whether you're Pentecostal or whether you're Democratic or Republican. It's going to be how do you relate to the issue of homosexuality. So you better gear up and prepare and know what you believe. And all the while, speak the truth in love because God can save and change the homosexual's heart once he's confronted with the truth of the word of God. Number three, abortion. 40 plus million babies have been aborted. Anytime even a pastor speaks on it, he risks the potential that there was a young lady under the sound of his voice that maybe in a fearful moment in her life, she found herself in an abortion clinic. And I'm not here to throw a stone in anyone. And I trust that God can take you through a process of healing because God is a healer. Right? He heals us emotionally and physically and psychologically. But the truth of the matter is, as it's written here, and she noted this, the 30th verse, we're leaping down. She noted this real quickly. It says, inventors of evil things. It's hard for me to contemplate that somebody could set down a medical doctor and devise a means to take a living child out of the womb of its mother and dismember it and then to cast it into a bin somewhere. I can't fathom that, that the human mind can think of such things. The 31st verse, she added to, without natural affection. Let me say this. It is unnatural for one to want to abort their unborn baby. It's the influence of the culture. She also noted the 28th verse. To do, King James English, to do those things which are not convenient. One translation said incomprehensible and another translation said, which ought not to be done. And as a result of these three things, evolutionary teaching, homosexuality, and abortion, Miss Ann Graham Lutz made the conclusion that she believed that America was under the judgment of God. So here it is as I prepare to close. Well, then what is the judgment of God? Is it fire falling down out of heaven and consuming a city like it was with Sodom and Gomorrah? Is it Old Testament calamities and whirlwinds and all these things or the things that we Here's what she noted, and my heart is in agreement. Look at the 24th verse. Wherefore, God gave them up 
26 verse, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. The point that she made, and it was in harmony with what I believe, is that when a, per, when a people group determines that they no longer need God, when they no longer want to build the foundation of their, or build the, upon the foundation of, of biblical principles, then God in his sovereign grace oftentimes will give them over. To receive, look what it said, 27th verse, to receive in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And so here, the end result is here's what your society, when God gives you over, can look at. We read this in closing. Here's what your society can look like when God has given you over. The society, 29th verse, can be filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, and notice this, who know the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And so Anne brought it to a conclusion that in her belief, the judgment of God was not necessarily the fire of God coming down upon the nation, but the God that held this nation up by a sovereign hand. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? God gave them over. God gave them over. And the end result is a society filled with the things that you have just saw on the pages of your scripture and on the screen here today. And so here's what's happened in America. We use our liberty for our fleshly desires as we forget God and his word. And what we need, church family, we need a heartfelt, sincere repentance before God. The potential, listen, I'm warning you as your pastor and friend, you may forget this message one day, but the potential for anarchy remains in America. The potential for lawlessness to abound. The potential for Islamic jihad to not just be on a television screen somewhere in Orlando or on the West Coast, but Islamic jihad can happen anywhere as Muslim infiltration takes place in America. I'm just being truthful with you today. I know you're not shouting me down, but I'm still preaching right. Sodomite teaching and lifestyles is still destroying the subculture of the family. And so, yes, I agree with Sister Ann. In this context, America is under the judgment of God. God has said, you chose this path. You'll receive in yourselves the recompense of your reward. But is there hope? I close with hope. God is so merciful. God is so merciful. You know, we come through a season in the church when everything in the church is about prosperity. Prosperity. God's going to bless you. God's going to give you a new car. God's going to give you a better job. Let me tell you what, church family. You know what the message of the church needs to be in our hour about the church being repentant before God, humbling ourselves and crying out and saying, God, God, would you work in my life? Let me be holy. If I have to choose holiness over prosperity, I'll choose holiness. Come on, somebody. Come on and now have the favor and the blessing of God. So our only hope is heartfelt, sincere repentance before God. And I close with this final word from the psalmist. We already read it, but let me remind you this in Psalm 106, verse 43. They, 
Israel provoked him with their counsel, and they were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. May the church of Jesus Christ lead the way in repentance and asking for God to spare our great land. Would y'all stand up with me today as we prepare to close?